On the weekend of the 28th of October, the Barbican Centre in London will once again play host to the Battle of Ideas Festival. The weekend-long event will feature two days of high-level, thought-provoking public debate, and within that a variety of topics will be discussed within a variety of different formats of discussion. And what we hope to do in this mini-series is showcasing some of the topics that will be covered and those people who will be covering them. Now, for people who don't know the story, let's give them the short version of it. I'm Max Anderson, and this is Battle Cry. I'll prompt you to write this memo. Yeah, so they would have these company-wide meetings where they just push a lot of this diversity stuff, mm-hmm. and some of it was kind of weird, so I decided to go to these, uh, these secret meetings, sort of. In July of this year, a US-based Google engineer by the name of James Damore penned a memo about his then-employee's diversity policies. Oh no, we're not you know, changing any of our hiring practices for these candidates. And they said, yeah, we basically are uh, making it easier for some candidates to get in. Later fired for some of the points he raised in this memo, Damore attacked what he called Google's ideological echo chamber and claimed, amongst other things, that the lack of women in tech and also in leadership were due in part to biological differences between men and women. So they asked for feedback on the program. So I I wrote this document to clarify my thoughts. I sent it to them. They looked at it, but, you know, they just ignored it, never told me anything. With this controversial memo, the age-old idea of evolutionary psychology was thrust onto the global stage, popularizing a debate that has been rife since the birth of this school of thought in the mid-1970s. Hello, Tim. Ah, good, okay. But what exactly is evolutionary psychology, and is there any truth at all in the claims it makes? And I can put this on the, on the table rather than having it to my ear. Okay. This is Professor Tim Ingold. Well, I'm, uh, I'm a pr- professor of social anthropology at the University of Aberdeen. Tim will also be speaking at this year's Battle of Ideas Festival. I spoke with him recently and started by asking him for a simple definition. What it is, to start off with, as I understand it, is an attempt to show that certain more or less universal things about the way human minds work and about the way they influence how humans behave can be explained as um, adaptations, things that evolved through variation under natural selection in the long course of of human evolution, Uh, things that were adaptive in those days when our ancient ancestors were supposed to have been living as hunters and gatherers, maybe not so adaptive nowadays, but but I, I think that the evolutionary psychology rests on the premise that there is such a thing as human nature, that one can specify universal properties of the way minds work, and that one can explain those properties through basically a, a Darwinian process of variation under natural selection. And so, I mean, this idea that our kind of, um, the way we think or our minds or, or, or you know, human psychology itself evolved in the same way that, say, you know, the muscles of our arm did, is quite an intuitive, um, I suppose an intuitive idea, but, but, but 
not everyone agrees with it. What are your own sort of views on evolutionary psychology and, and what might be some of the sort of shortfalls of it as, as a theory? My, my views of evolutionary psychology are, are, are irredeemably hostile. I think it's really dreadful as science for all sorts of reasons. It's, it's so, so many that it's hard to know um, where to start. There are two things that I, I think I want to start with. The, the first is to um, challenge this assumption that there is a universal human nature that has evolved and has stayed put for humans sort of ever ever since. Um, one of the major achievements of, of Darwinian evolutionary biology was to reject the doctrine of what was called essentialism. Essentialism was the idea that, which was widely held before Darwin, that for any particular animal species you could identify a a sort of essence of the way this species is, and then say, but particular individuals vary a bit, but they all have this essential. If you're a, if you're a monkey, you all have some essential monkeyness. If you're a whale, you have an essential whaleness. And and Darwin, of course, challenged that by by showing that um, all it, it, basically every, every individual is a little bit different. That there's a huge amount of variation. So the idea that that every human being comes with an essential architecture already in place is um, directly contrary to that Darwinian model, I mean, that, that in fact natural selection couldn't operate under those certain circumstances. So for a start, the theory in, in appealing to, uh, to a Darwinian mechanism to explain essential universals of human nature is, is directly um, contradictory. The second thing is that evolutionary psychology assumes that these mental architectures that it talks about are somehow given from the start so that every human being as soon as a human being is conceived let alone born these architectures are virtually if not physically already in place so the only thing that happens when you when you grow up is that potentials or predispositions, or designs that have already been put there, somehow uh, genetically, are, are expressed in the course of development. And that, I think, is a, is a fundamental, very fundamental error. Uh, and it allows for evolutionary psychologists to argue in an entirely circular way. That is, to observe what they believe to be uh, particular ways of thinking or ways of behaving, uh, put them into a model, then put that model, as it were, into the genes, imagine it to be stuck inside this newly conceived human being who, hey presto, then proceeds to come out looking like what the description started with. So that the, the, the argument is, is, is fundamentally circular and allows evolutionary psychologists to put anything they want um, into the heads of humans and then turn around and say, that it's, been, um, it, it, it's part of human nature and it's been put there through natural selection. Uh, and what they put in to human heads is very largely um, things that they pulled out of their own imagination, that are their own fantasies about what they think humans are like or they would like humans to be like. And that's why I think that as science it's completely outrageous. What Tim touches on here is a very important aspect of the whole evolutionary psychology debate, with many arguing that it backs up an idea, a dangerous idea, called biological determinism. Well, there are two components to this. First of all, there's the issue of, of determinism and then the politics of it. When people talk about biological determinism, 
as the problem is a very lazy use of the notion of biology. Biology is actually a field of study. It's a study of living organisms of all sorts. And, and in that sense, biology doesn't determine anything. It, it's simply a name for what we're trying to find out. Where the problem comes is when we suppose that taking our ideas about what an animal is like, that those ideas are somehow already established inside the animal and, and, and is then producing its behavior. It's a, it's a circularity that, uh, that a very famous early 20th century philosopher, Alfred North Whitehead, called the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. It's quite a good phrase. It, it suggests that, that, that we, we can have ideas about animals, about humans, we can think what we like, uh, and, and we can make generalizations. But these ideas and these generalizations are abstractions of our own, ideas that we produce to help sort things out. But we make a huge mistake when we suppose that something that we've abstracted from our observations of, say, behavior, is therefore concretely inside the heads of these beings and is producing the behavior in question. And, and that's the problem where determinism comes in. When people talk about biological determinism, they're kind of meaning, oh, there must be, must be genetic determinism, or that there's something inside the human or the animal that is determining what they do. And as Tim goes on to explain, this idea can often find itself aligned with certain political ideologies. If you were a right-wing ideologue and you wanted to disseminate your, your, your right-wing ideology, it would be very easy to draw on stuff from evolutionary psychology to do it and to support it, as they regularly do. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that the people who do the evolutionary psychology and would call themselves evolutionary psychologists uh, are necessarily right-wing themselves. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are, there are plenty of well-meaning, even though I don't like their science, I'm sure there are plenty of well-meaning evolutionary psychologists out there who are quite horrified at the uses to which some of their stuff is being put. Tonight he's out of a job, but he's standing by his words as we hear from him for the first time. Here's ABC's chief business correspondent, Rebecca Jarvis. Tonight, the fired software engineer who sparked a firestorm after challenging Google's diversity program, speaking out. I'm not saying that any of the female engineers at Google are in any way worse than the average male engineer. So obviously, sort of evolutionary psychology and the arguments around it has sort of been thrust into the, the global limelight as of late with... Um, the recent sort of Google memo. And that the abilities of men and women differ in part due to biological causes and that these differences may explain why we don't see equal representation of women in tech and leadership. Before we get into that, obviously the the Google memo sort of touched on something that, that people were very much aware of, these supposed gender differences when it comes to psychology. Before we get into the stuff in the memo, what, what are your thoughts on these supposed gender differences? Well, I mean, obviously there are gender differences. But speaking here as a social anthropologist, and most of my colleagues on this would agree, they would want to argue that people do not come a priori into one category or another. We're talking about people here. And, and first of all, everybody's different. No two human beings are the same, and nobody would want to suggest they are, except perhaps for really extreme cases of identical twins, and even the parents of identical twins know they're different. So we can start off from the assumption that no two human beings are the same. We can also recognize 
that no human being is actually quite the same from one day to the next. We, we grow up. We move from being tiny infants to kids to teenagers and so on and so on, and then, uh, you know, old people, and then we eventually die. So we have, we have uh, uh, simply we have a life cycle, and during that life cycle, our bodies, our capacities, our predispositions, our loves, our hates, are like rivers. They're changing all the time. Nobody is ever in a fixed state. So, so every life cycle is a process of becoming. We're always becoming. We're always making ourselves, and we're always making ourselves the people we are in relation with other people. No human life is or could possibly be conducted in isolation of other lives. So lives are being carried on in parallel, and all the time we are making ourselves and in a sense, others are making us because we are responding to what they're doing around us. Now, we might, for, for, for various purposes, we might then want to put people into boxes and categorize them as this sort or that sort or to make some divisions here or there. And, and of course, gender is one of those. Uh, other, all sorts of other categories around ethnic group, race and uh, class and all these categories that sociologists um, write about it at, at great length. But the, it's a terrible mistake to suppose that these ways we have of, of trying to sort people out into categories, when we're really just trying to sort things out out of this huge sea of ocean of, of continually differentiating difference, to suppose that somehow these categories have got some reality, uh, that they're somehow inscribed in our very nature uh, from the start. That, again, is an instance of, I, I mentioned earlier, the, the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. And it's precisely that. Um, well, on that uh, sort of note, I won't ask you what your, your thoughts on the actual memo were. But what I, what I did want to know was, were you sort of surprised by it? No, I wasn't surprised in the least. Um, I, I, it was depressingly familiar. Um, and this sort of stuff. Is, is not surprising because it's happening all the time. And it's happening all the time because these ideas, particularly about nature and nurture and about how we start you know, with, with one set of determinants that are inside our heads or inside our genes or whatever, and another set of determinants that are outside in the environment and how we're all somehow products of the interaction between one and the other is so deep-seated in, uh, in, in what we call Western ways of thinking uh, so so rigidly established so so reproduced so so blatantly reproduced that that few people are able to think outside it that 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 we're still in popular discourse we're still stuck with this notion that oh everybody must be a product of nature and nurture actually all sensible biologists rejected the nature nurture dichotomy generations ago but it doesn't stop it being reproduced all the time it's very depressing but i wasn't in the least bit surprised Obviously, the session you'll be featuring in is titled From Gender to Empathy, What Can Evolutionary Psychology Tell Us? Um, I suppose just as a straight-up question, what's your answer to that? It can't tell us anything at all. I, 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 I think that as my, my own view is that, is that evolutionary psychology is entirely bogus. 
um, that it is not scientific, that its logic is circular, and that it's simply a way of turning particular descriptions of human thought and behavior into purported explanations of them. And those descriptions are ethnocentric. They're largely based on scientists or evolutionary psychologists' own prejudices about what they think humans are like or ought to be like. And therefore, it has absolutely no credibility as science whatsoever. I also think it's extremely damaging because it allows what are just sometimes quite moralistic statements about how humans ought to be. And again, speaking as an anthropologist, I I feel outraged by the way in which um, other ways of thinking about how humans can or should live, um, which have equally deep philosophical roots, but which don't happen to be part of the so-called Western tradition are completely sidelined. It's a very popular topic these days to uh, uh, discuss what uh, evolutionary uh, uh, psychology, as it's now called, sociobiology, used to be, uh, teaches us about the nature of humans. Uh, but the problem is it doesn't teach us anything much at all. To find out more about the festival, head over to www.battleofideas.org UK. Any organism, say insects, uh, when you get